Hi all, and I'd like to welcome you to another session of our VidCast podcast series where we delve into the seven forces that you need to align for your business success. With me today is Russell Bodecker. He's worked in the capacity of Chief Operating Officer for several companies and Chief Financial Officer. He's recently received an accreditation in Strategy and Competitive Analysis. So welcome, Russell. It's good to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, why don't you give another one-minute kind of summary of your career? Uh, that mine was really short. Oh, sure. Well, so far I have worked for uh, companies ranging in size from uh, pre-revenue startups, uh, small companies, mid-cap companies, and the largest companies on the planet. That's about as broad as, as you can possibly get. And because of that, I, I have seen companies at each stage of their growth and at each stage they have some very specific problems and things you need to build and have in place in order to scale your company to get uh, to the next level. Okay. Um, in order for us to get started, let's start with some very basics of finance. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I too deal with companies, I come out of the corporate world, which was you know, multinational, multi-billion mm -hmm. dollar companies, and then I work with I'll say it wannabes, they're not even a company yet, they're thinking of forming a company. Um, so I often talk with the clients about the three critical basic financial documents uh, of the cash flow, and I always put that first, the profit and loss second, and the balance sheet third. Uh, can you comment on the, the those three documents and my choice of order? Uh, sure. Well. Uh, frankly, the cash flow statement really is a good place to start, and and like frankly, most people do not start there; they jump right uh, to the P and L, which quite frankly tells you quite a bit. Uh, but the cash flow statement is uh, uh, quite critical because that tells you what is happening uh, for the actual cash for the business. Uh, the typical cash flow statement has like three sections: one is cash flow from operations, uh, one is cash flow for investments, which, which could, could be bu uh, buying uh, property, uh, 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 new equipment, things like that, and then finally financing. And frankly, all three do have value for them, but the one that I really focus on first of all is, is the cash flow from operations, because that number tells you uh, for your basic business operations of uh, the day-to-day -day business, is this business uh, generating cash or is it burning cash and that's a real critical number to know and yes it is good uh, to see the absolute number but uh, there's also value for looking at trends over time is that cash flow from operations the basic operations for your business is that cash flow going up becoming more positive or is it starting to decline and that can give you early warning signs uh, that there's something happening for your business uh, that cash is no longer coming in. Uh, the problem you have with with uh, just looking at the P&L is uh, because of the different accounting rules, uh, what you see on the P&L uh, can, uh, for a period of time, look quite different uh, from the actual cash flow for operations. Uh, so only looking at the P&L uh, can give you a misleading view for the company uh, things could look very positive on the P&L side, but it uh, may be uh, uh, the company 
is like burning cash or cash flow from operations is starting to decline. So I would always start looking at that piece and specifically the cash flow from operations. One of the things that I often see is um, you can have a company with profits exceed the expenses. So you've got a profit for that's, that month. And that's good. But at the same time, you can still have the cash in your banking account go down that same month, even though you made money. That's correct. And that's because of the deltas uh, between uh, the way you have to book things for accounting versus the actual cash coming in. And, and, and especially in a short period of time, uh, those two can be quite different. So um, I use QuickBooks. And for the cash flow statement, the only option I have is cash basis. However, for the profit and loss statement and the balance mm -hmm. sheet, I have options of accrual or cash. Right. What should I be looking at? When, when should I choose one or over the other? Uh, for the P&L and balance sheet, uh, you should always use the accrual because that keep, keep things uh, quite consistent. That's the accounting rules. And as far as what's happening cash-wise, of course, you go, go back to your cash flow statement, which does all the corrections to make sure that all the accounting mumbo-jumbo uh, gets uh, translated down to something closer to your actual cash. Okay, let me, let me give you an example that uh, lots of people would run across, um, and I'm doing it with a nonprofit right now. We issued the annual dues. Uh, and mm -hmm. I tried to do it before the end of the year right. to give them the opportunity to pay in advance to improve our cash flow mm -hmm. uh, operations. Um, if I book the uh, invoices into profit and loss, I have this huge number on a accrual basis, but I really haven't done anything different. I've just issued a bunch of pieces of paper right. for annual dues. <clears throat> My accounts receivable on the balance sheet is also going to go through the roof, mm -hmm. right? My cash in the bank is going to have done absolutely nothing, right? Right. And that's what I should do, right? Uh, correct, because the cash flow statement uh, offer that case, I will factor that in and basically show a zero cash flow for those transactions. Okay, so now I've issued all of those uh, invoices and somebody doesn't pay. How do I, what's the proper way to back that out? That would be, well, that would be uh, bad uh, debt. Uh, you would have to like write off the AR for that case. Okay. I can't just remove it, right? Uh, unfortunately, in QuickBooks, you actually can because QuickBooks doesn't have controls, but that is not the right process. Okay. You should go into a, um, can't think of the term term by credit memo. Um, well, we get a lot of journal entries, and yeah, uh, I, I took over this nonprofit in July, and the books weren't very clean at all, and so I've got a few journal entries that I'm not sure I've got right yet. Right. <laughs> uh, the key thing is to never, absolutely never, uh, just just uh, go into QuickBooks and just delete the entry because it's there for a reason. If you have to correct it, uh, you put in a correcting journal. So. Uh, there is a full history for all the transactions. And unfortunately, QuickBooks, because it's, it is a very basic tool with some very limited controls, it does, of course, I'll let you delete things, but I would not recommend it. Okay. That, uh, that is a bad accounting practice. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So dealing with companies, whether you're a startup uh, or even thinking of starting up and trying to raise funds, or you're a multinational, multi-billion dollar company, you have to come up with a projection for one to three years. Yes. Um, let's see, so I've done uh, revenue and expense projections. I've been asked over my time to do a monthly uh, profit and loss mm -hmm. so that I could see what the cash flow was, but not always. I've never done a projection of the balance sheet in any of the work that I've done. Uh, and now you have this uh, uh, accreditation of a strategy and competitive analysis. So how does that factor in? Have you found some secret to helping do a one to three year uh, projection? Right. Well, for that question, there is really two parts. First of all, uh, would be uh, the actual strategy development. And then, of course, based upon that, there is a mechanic for actually building that, that like three-year plan. And so maybe we should talk a bit about the actual strategy formation because that feeds into building that particular plan. So uh, I often find more and more that it is a CFO who is taking more of a responsibility for developing strategy. Do you see that? That is certainly true. Well, I would say... Uh, the CFO role has like moved towards uh, managing the strategy process. Uh, for most companies, of course, uh, the strategy belongs to, uh, to the CEO, but of course, uh, the CEO needs help uh, to take his particular vision and thoughts and then craft it down to an actual strategy. And that portion has uh, now tended to fall more towards the CFO role. Okay. CFO, CPA, controller, treasurer, bookkeeper. Yes. What the is the difference? Uh, well, they are quite different, and in some cases, uh, they can be uh, the same person could possibly wear uh, several of those hats because of, uh, because frankly, in past companies, that's what I've done. Uh, bookkeepers are 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 quite valuable. Uh, but they have a, a, a very limited function. They are more tactical kind of work. Uh, they're paying the bills, uh, uh, booking in the invoices, uh, booking in uh, transactions, uh, very mechanical. Uh, 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 just getting the books uh, correct, and that's pretty much it. Uh, they really do not have uh, the capability for like, figuring out like what does this mean for the business? Is the business going in the right direction, uh, the wrong direction? Uh, metrics, uh, projections, uh, forecast, that's not their purview. They are just the blocking and tackling, which of course has to be done because somebody has to process all that paperwork. Uh, your typical uh, controller um, I, I will tend to be kind of more on your pure kind of accounting side, of course, somewhat higher level than your bookkeeper, but 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 of course, of course, uh, making sure you have other proper policies uh, being followed, uh, things are all gap compliant, uh, producing financial reports, but most of that tends to be backward looking because that, of course, that is uh, is, is 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 like really where the accounting profession lives is doing things and making sure the past is correct. Uh, some controllers do have some skill to do some kind of limited forward-looking things, but that's typically not their primary skill set. 
of the CFO, that's the person that, of course, looks at things for the past because uh, that's a good base, but uh, they are typically much more forward-looking, typically maybe 20% of what's happened in the past, taking care of compliance, and then 80% of, okay, where does the company need to go? What kind of problems do we have? What do we have to measure to make sure the company is on track to make sure we can do our strategy? And then what kind of plans, as well as, as uh, potential investments, uh, does the company have to make in order to make sure we can be successful for, uh, uh, for the strategy? So where, what's the treasure? I honestly don't understand what a treasure is. A uh, good question. Now, uh, the treasurer role at, as a separate function would typically only be seen for fairly large companies where they have all kinds of investments, maybe there's bonds, if it's CDs, uh, things like that. For smaller companies, the treasurer function would typically fall beneath the CFO. And that's really managing uh, the banking relationships, the funding needs, the cash flow, checking uh, uh, cash balances, cash burns. Okay, so I may be a little confused. So I deal with a few companies that are formed in the state of Oregon, mm -hmm. and in the formation of the company, there has to be an officer named the treasurer. That is correct, and in uh, past companies, uh, that, that of course has been me, so I've had have, have like several roles of the CFO plus the treasurer. Okay. I'll combine role to one person. Okay, so one more thing then on this topic. It used to be that a company would have a CPA. And what I'm hearing from a lot of people is the A in that CPA accounting, looking mm -hmm. backwards, right. has become much more their focus now than it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, correct, because of course, our compliance now has, has, has grown fairly exponentially. Uh, SOX compliance, we have uh, various different kind of regulations, just making things gap compliant with all the changes coming from the FASB, and there's more coming, it seems, uh, each year. Uh, there is uh, so much work that has to take place just to make uh, sure uh, the company's books uh, 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 stay in gap compliance. That's taking more and more of their time, and there really isn't that much left to be looking forward. And of course, like frankly, uh, somebody that 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 has gone uh, to uh, to get get their CPA, uh, they're really focused on all the accounting rules, uh, the regulations, uh, the processes, and so most of their thinking will be uh, closing the books, uh, uh, making sure it's correct, and that's mostly backward looking. But that takes now much more time than it did 20 years ago. That explanation really makes a lot of sense to me and, and helps me understand and and so um, having a bookkeeper you know as you, as you grow and scale and have mm -hmm. a different company starting with a bookkeeper and having an outside CPA in order to do your annual filings and things like that right then the next step would be to have a controller then and the next step would be a part-time CFO who comes in to help with growth strategies and projecting out to the future, and then finally you get big enough to have a full-time CFO. Um, that is one model, but uh, there is one more that I have done, okay. uh, which is 
is, is to come in full time and play both roles as the corporate controller plus the CFO and just wearing two hats. And that has worked uh, for companies ranging from maybe 10 million up to 25 million. And then finally it gets so big that I get so swamped and I say, okay, now it's time to bring in a full-time controller because that's taking too much time and now the company needs like, like a much more focused uh, CFO time. So either one works, uh, but it could be one person doing both, both the CFO uh, plus a controller role. There's not too many people that have skills to do both, but if you can find that person, it's a two-for-one deal. Okay. Now, one, one more question then. Should I just uh, have an outside virtual bookkeeper? That is what many companies do, um, and that works for companies ranging up to, you know, maybe $10 million size range possibly, uh, because frankly there is not like that much work, work to do full time because you're processing bills, uh, invoices, and I have seen uh, that, that particular model work again up to maybe five or ten million dollars once you get uh, beyond that there's so much transaction volume you probably need the need at that point i'm not just a bookkeeper but 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 a more professional accountant okay great um we spent, we've been a little bit in the tactical numbers mm -hmm. uh yep. you know how do i transactional basis kind of thing so let's move back to that uh strategy level a little bit um we use numbers to keep score on our business. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I partially do pro bono work for an organization called SCORE. And I had to come up with an acronym there. I thought maybe SCORE could stand for strategic characteristics that are observed regularly by everyone. Kind of, you know, another way of saying balanced scorecard, if you will, uh, kind of thing. But if your metrics, yeah, yeah, yeah. et cetera. So, um, and every business seems to be in the game, which I say grow and make earnings. Mm -hmm. So strategy comes first. And tell us a little bit more about this accreditation and strategy and competitive analysis and how that can help companies. Uh, sure. Well, uh, for most companies, doing strategy is something that uh, they really do not spend uh, time on uh, for two reasons. One is everyone's so busy. There are so many things to work on and strategy takes some time. A uh, second reason is if you really want to do strategy right, it involves an awful lot of thought and soul searching. And I have, have had more than, uh, than uh, one CEO in going through our whole strategy process say, wow, this is really hard work because you really have to think. And so it tends to not get to focus because of the uh, tyranny of the urgent. There's so much going on right now. And of course, most people think we're going in the right direction, but unfortunately they really haven't sat down to go figure out what exactly what is my strategy. Uh, the problem tends to be uh, that even if the CEO really understands uh, the strategy and it's all in his mind, uh, what I've found is that is usually the only place that resides. Going down a uh, one level, two level, certainly down uh, uh, to the line employee, most of them really have no idea what the strategy is. And so because of that, they may not be moving the company towards the right direction because 
Uh, they think it's supposed to be going this way, but in reality, it is supposed to be going somewhere else. So it does make a perfect sense, that, and, and it, it is a great uh, return to spend some time uh, building a formal strategy and then a communication plan to instill that down to each person as to what they need to do in order to make that strategy successful. So this, what did you have to do for getting an accreditation in strategy? Well, of course, uh, there was the, the obligatory test you have to take, uh, which meant studying uh, various aspects from soup to nuts. It was about, uh, I, I had spent about 12 weeks studying um, uh, the whole process uh, from the basic concepts uh, down to measurements, implementation, the execution, and then, of course, uh, taking the test, which was partially written and then partially doing a uh, case study analysis of, of some company and they had a problem, okay, what should their strategy be and why? Okay. Um, Pass on the first try, by the way. Great, great. So you just said something, though, in there that um, is important. Um, the reason for going through strategy is partially to figure out where you want to go but also part of it is to get everybody to get into the boat and row with you. That is, that is uh, really critical. There is one company uh, that, that I had uh, worked for, and I was sitting with the C-suite members, and each one of them, because I, I had like, spoken to them separately, and they all told me, I understand exactly what the strategy is. I know exactly where this company goes. I've got it down. I'm in full alignment. And then we all met together. And at that point, I was actually playing the role to actually kind of run the strategy process. And so I started off off like talking with the CEO. He started first on his thoughts. And then each person I began talking. And it became very clear to me that not a single person thought that uh, the company strategy was the same thing. They all had a different view of what the company strategy was, and these are the C-suite members, and they had completely different views. Uh, just imagine uh, uh, down to uh, uh, the line-level people, I'm sure they had absolutely no idea what the strategy was, or completely different from theirs. And so part of that process was to let's get everybody on the same page and have one definition for what the strategy is. Or, and, wor or worse, all those people on the line said management doesn't know what the hell they're doing, and uh, you know. So what am I supposed to do? They become what we hear about is mm -hmm. they're all the seventy percent of employees who are disengaged from their job because they don't have something that they understand that they're working toward. Uh, that does tend to happen, but 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 uh, what I've seen in most cases, which is uh, probably more damaging, is how uh, the people doing the actual work. Uh, they believe they uh, know what the strategy is or, or like what is important and they'll start moving in that direction but that may be the exact opposite of what the company's really trying to do and so you have people kind of diffusing uh, their work and they're moving the company in all kind of directions which means strategy execution is probably not going to work but people are really trying uh, to do as part of their day job what they believe the company wants them to do 
uh, to be successful, but in many cases, they have the completely wrong idea because it's not been communicated. So, um, getting that strategy down to everybody so that they accept mm -hmm. it and implement it requires some sort of documentation and communication to the employees. You probably need to tell the suppliers. You want to tell your customers what mm -hmm. your strategy is. You have these things called investors typically, Indeed. as well as the employees. So what methods do you like for documenting and for communicating strategy? Uh, well, first of all, uh, what is typically missing is like really the, uh, the definition of what the strategy is. You have to have that first before you communicate it. And as part of the strategy process, I really need to start with, of course, the term mission statement. That's kind of a bad term because most companies' mission statements are completely meaningless. It's something like we're going to have happy employees, we're going to uh, uh, save the whales, you know, save the world, all those kind of things, but that is not a mission statement. I really want to start with, and you can call it uh, your mission statement, but it's really why does this company exist? Why is it here? What is the purpose of this company? That's different from, you know, save the world kind of things. A very clear, concise message of why does this company exist? And, and like what would happen if this company disappeared? Uh, there's some, uh, there is some value for this company. And that's what you have to first define is why is this company here? That is a clear mission statement. And it should be very clear, one or two sentences, not a long-winded thing of like, why is the company here? Believe it or not, that is difficult to go define because, of course, you have to really understand why are we here? That's the first starting point, which is a great communication tool because once you have that and you post it out and then talk about it, that is a very clear message of why I'll become the work each day. Once you have that, uh, the next piece down is to build the vision statement which most people kind of get confused because vision statement, mission statement, sometimes they sound the same, but they're two different things. Uh, uh, the mission statement, that's why are we here? And the vision statement is saying, what does this company want to look like in, let's say, five years? Now, I like the way you just described it because I, I, I agree. Um, I tend to look at the mission statement as an outward-looking thing, as to what we're trying to do for the world or why we exist or something right. like that. Whereas the vision statement is exactly that. Okay, I'm at point A today. Right. I want to be at point B as a company at some point in the future. What is that point B that I want to get to? Right. And the vision statement, that can really inspire people to say, ah, that's what we're trying to get to in five years. Okay, now I know a little more what I should be doing in my day-to-day -day job because now there is an objective. Yeah, the mission statement is something that you're probably never going to reach because that is, is like your purpose. You know, there's no real end to that, let's say. Uh, but but, but uh, the vision statement is something a bit more time-bound and it's rather specific. This is what this company wants to look like in five years. Now, from your vision statement, that's where you start to build your strategy to say, if this is where I plan to be in five years, I'm currently here, I have to do some things in order to get there. 
uh, make certain investments, build certain products, bring in certain people, uh, new products, uh, new markets. Something has to happen, probably different from what you're currently doing, in order to get to that vision statement. And that's what can start to formulate the strategy uh, from this kind of uh, direction uh, to some concrete actions that have to take place. So, uh, uh, right now, I, very recently, I uh, contributed to Wikipedia. And I got, it's end of year, everybody is asking for money for yeah. the end of the year. Including Wikipedia. Including Wikipedia, every time you, you uh, log on to an article right now. So the mission of Wikipedia, I would say, this isn't necessarily exactly what they say it mm -hmm. is, but I would say it is to capture and disseminate all of the knowledge in the world. Now the vision statement would be that we're going to do it electronically, make it available in these countries, have X number of people accessing the Wikipedia on a regular basis. Uh, I actually refused to donate to them until they told me some things. I used to have mm -hmm. an Encyclopedia Britannica, an Encyclopedia Americana. Yeah, all the big books, right? And, and they all have proven articles written by professors and others who mm -hmm. unfortunately may be politically biased. Uh, even history people are biased in some fashion. But I wanted Indeed. to know where is the content authority uh, for Wikipedia. They gave me a very good statement back as to how they're doing it, what their strategy is, if you will, for the future to improve the quality of the articles that are out there that I'm accessing so that I can rely on them. Yeah. So, that's great. So, uh, we're coming to uh, time to, to uh, wrap up here, so uh, I would hope and expect that some people are going to want to contact Russell Bodecker uh, either to ask some follow-up questions sure. from this or to uh, engage with you somehow. So, how do they contact Russell Bodecker? Well, too late. My website is www.russellbodecker.com. That's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-B-O-E-D-E-K-E-R, -E 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 all one word, .com. Or you can, of course, call me at 503-858-8927. All right. Well, thank you very much, Russell. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Appreciated the opportunity here to talk with you. I just love uh, strategy if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> I hope you all find these uh, VidCast podcasts of interest. I'm Paul Menig with Business Accelerants. Thanks very much, everyone. Right, take care. And thanks, Paul. <laughs>